Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation, and hope. I am Russell Manser, and this is The Stick Up. Johnny Lewis is a name that has come up in this podcast more than any other. He is a boxing trainer and the head coach of six world champions, including Jeff Fennick and Kosh Jezu. He has had an Order of Australia medal and was inducted to the Australian Boxing Hall of Fame in 2006. Hands down, he's Australia's best boxing coach. Legendary boxing trainer, Johnny Lewis, welcome to the stick-up. Uh, lovely to be here, Russell. You've been a common theme. In, I've been doing this podcast. I think I've been, we've, we've done about 18 episodes so far, and you've been a common theme in a, in a lot of them, in a lot of them, and you are, you are really held in high esteem by everyone I've interviewed. Oh, that's nice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate. Growing up, you um, you grew. Did you grow? You you grew. You were born in Bankstown. Um, led to believe that I was um, born at uh, Belmore Hospital. Yeah. Um, Growing, did you grow up in Erco, Erskineville? Your beloved uh, Erskineville. <clears throat> well, um, it was um, nineteen forty four, and uh, my mum took me to back to Wollongarra, which is just over the border. Mm. Mum was from Erskineville, Dad was from Redfern, but he was up there, had, got called up by the army. And uh, Mum was up there with him and uh, we came back about 1946, I think it was, and uh, straight to Erskineville. And, yeah. Your beloved Erskineville, mate, you have a, a really pa- passion for the people of Erskineville. I was sitting there the other day and I could just see the love and joy in your eyes. Of being, you're just in your happy place at Erskineville. What makes Erskineville so special to you? Oh, no doubt what they just said. The people that live there, we're all much the same. And um, uh, coming through life, uh, we all had each other's backs and uh, you know, it was the place to be. And um, father and sons, we, we all uh, stood by each other and very proud of, of each other's siblings. May I, I first come across a lot of the Erskineville kids in the notorious Derek Boys' home. And, would, and this is the first time I'd ever heard of the place. And, you know, and people would say, where are you from? And they'd say, okay. But these kids had a very, very special bond with each other. You know, tough kids. They were really advanced. But they also had a, a really soft spot for you. They all spoke about you like a, a father-type figure. You know, those sort of kids. And um, it must be amazing that you can have an influence on those sort of people uh, like that, mate. Oh, they had a good influence on me. You know, as I say, we're... Very much all the same, and uh, I remember when I was growing up, um, just out of the blue, a, a mate of my father said to me, listen, 
you got your mother worried when you go out, you give her a call, like, you know, and with no mobile phones or anything like that in them days. But uh, I thought to myself, how's, how's this conversation come up? But he was looking after me because he knew mum and dad sort of thing, you know. Yeah. How he knew I was getting home late or whatever, I don't know, but... Yeah, but you've got that, mate. You know it. You know everything that's going on. Like Garth was telling me stories when um, I'm, I'm talking in reference to Garth Woods, the the winner of the contender, great boxer, great bloke, NRL footballer, was telling me that you just knew everything about him. You know what I mean? When he like he rang you and you you, you told him, you said, mate, you're up to no good. Pull your head in. I give him a lecture on the way in here this morning to be truthful, and uh, but yeah, beautiful people, my mum and dad. Why wouldn't they? Him and that. That just uh, just comes through the breeding. Let's talk about your sporting career. You expel. Oh, I didn't realise this. You excelled in AFL and tennis. I don't know if I excelled. I I tried my best. Yeah, both sports. I love tennis, but I love rugby league and AFL. Yeah. And uh, what what was it? It was an ankle. You had an ankle injury that sort of cut short your career. Was that correct? Yeah, I did. Uh, at twenty two, I had a, a fall. Wrongly diagnosed for seven years, and they used to give me um, Denko rub and uh, crepe bandages and so forth. But yeah, the time that I got a good doctor, it was um, too much damage done. So one leg was manipulated under anaesthetic in the hospital, but the other one was um, <clears throat> too much uh, gone and um, finished up. Uh, I was in plaster for about seven months. Well, mm. mate, where did the the love of boxing come from you for you? Well, I remember uh, Snowy Robbins Gym, which is in uh, the main street of Erskineville. Um, I used to go up there. I remember my dad took my brother and myself up there one day when uh, Jimmy Carruthers was going to South Africa to fight for the world title, which he won, and subsequently came back and. Uh, they had a turnout sort of thing for him on the Sunday morning and um, I just, they had a couple of spars, uh, you know, just a fun day and um, it, it did, it was something that I really liked and I used to run up after school and see if anyone was training and and then later on uh, the Newdown Police Boys Club went up there and got into it up there. Is this where you first met Dick O'Connor? No, Dick was the last trainer up there that I had. Um, uh, I had Jack Blum and uh, Snowy McFadden, but um, when Dick came, it was um, he was very different to the other two, and I really took to it with Dick, and um, I realised that um, I wanted to do it. And he had a big influence on the way you train fighter? Mate, the basis that I do was certainly that I learned from Dick. Yeah. Mate, you had uh, you had a, you had an amateur career yourself as a fighter. Yeah, not real good, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's people, and I, I don't know if you get this, but people talk about trainers and, and, and fighters, and they'll say, you know, um, it's always referred that Johnny Lewis didn't have a great professional career, but look look at his success as a pro, uh, training the pros. Where does your I don't know I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of the word. Where does the um, the ability to bring out the best in a champion these people come from. It's like you're like, you're like a forklift, mate. You just lift people. Yeah, look, really, I, I just see something in someone and see their strengths, their weaknesses, and um, you always got to work on your strengths the same as your weaknesses. You don't take anything for granted. But, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think that I think it was the suburb we were brought up in that we everyone was pretty hard and um, and at the same token they were soft as well. It's a tough suburb, uh, Erskineville. A lot of a uh, lot of that knock about people. You and you have that strong affiliation. You don't care. You don't judge. You're one of the most. You, you just don't judge people. You got you got friends like that's that's documented in your book. You're friends with Russell Cox. You're friends with politicians. You. Mate, this does that does that come from your family or does it come from the area? It's funny. I always remember my mum saying that um, in every good bloke there's a bit of bad, and every bad bloke there's a bit of good. So we're all equal. And um, I don't know anyone around Erskineville that was a racist. You know, we give everyone a chance, and we grew up with them, and um, whatever they were, and whatever country they come from, and if they came to our area. They're always made welcome. That whole thing about that Erskineville sort of lifestyle and people that that community, you couldn't afford to be sort of you couldn't afford to be a big head in that sort of area, could you? Oh, there's always someone that would pull you into line, and that's where I guess you know that's where your humility comes from. You've grown up in it. Yeah, as I say, I, I can't I, I can't. Um imagine myself growing up in any other area it's just um yeah. i think i would have been a totally different person mate talk about can you just tell us about do you remember the first fighter you ever trained the first australian title uh, for me was um a kid called tommy smith who came from um the mission at Arambi up in Cowra and he came down and um, we went over to Perth and he he won the Australian title over there and I, to this day, I always remember that, never thinking what was to come from that but so proud that together we did that. You say to your fighters, I love you, mate, before you go out, before they go out. You do it with everyone. You're You're known for it, mate. And, you know, and that love from you, like, you can see that, like, I've seen... You know, I've seen it on TV and sort of stuff like that. That and that love's genuine with you, mate. You can see it in your eyes. You know, what I mean, you can't fake what you have for your fighters. Yeah, well, I I can honestly say I never trained anyone that I didn't want uh, the best for. I've, if someone was a little bit outy dowdy, well, we severed ties and whatever, whatever. Jeff Fennick walks into the gym. Here we go, mate. What what did you see in Jeff? Oh, look, it's. Um, he just came up and he sat down, never said a word and I was just boxing a few of the kids. I just said to one of them, I said, look, we're going to have to try and get some sparring. You're coming into the state title. So, and this kid said, I'll spar him. And I looked down, it was Jeff. And I said, oh, well, we don't work that way, mate, you know. Come up tomorrow if you want to do something and we'll see how we go. Well, he, I got to the gym I can still remember an hour earlier than what I told them and he was sitting at the front waiting for me with a bag. When he came up, look, it was amazing just, um, I'll never see it again, but what he he had and um, what he gave you and um, he was, um, to me, I, I don't know anyone in any sport that could have done what Jeff did in such a quick time. Amazing career, amazing career. But also amazing relationship that you guys had. It was just something. I, I remember watching him win his world title, uh, first world title at Horton Pavilion, and 
was with my dad. It was Yugaki Shingaki. I don't know. How to, excuse my pronunciation. And um, you had a good team. There was yourself. There was Bill Morty. That to, to put that together, like an amazing feat in itself. At how, how many fights was he in when he won that world title? Uh, I think it was his sixth one. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Wow. Mate, he's another one. Like I've had him on here recently and he just speaks to you as like a father figure. You're also your ability to to lift people. You've been involved in the Australian Rugby League team. Where does it come from, John, this this, this gift? You've got a gift like no other. Look, I I really can't say. As I say, I just try to be honest and yourself and I think people... They grasp onto that, and if you tell them that you know they're able to do it, they they believe you. And um, I think the honesty thing and um, is very very important in the relationship. Has there ever come a time for you where you've had to be honest with someone and say, "Hey, look, mate, you haven't got it." Oh, yeah. Well, not so much that, but when I think it's over for someone, you know, it's um, it's quite sad because you when you're going on like on a good run and all of a sudden that um, you're noticing that a little bit slower or they're not taking the shots like they did or whatever whatever you've got to be honest with that too and um, that's not that's not easy yeah Jeff Harding Dennis Andre's toughest fight I've ever seen oh magnificent performance for Jeff Harding and that night he um, you know he never ever ever doubted himself even when he was on the end of being um, you know, hit around he, he knew that he could do the job that's what happened that was was that the last of the 15 round fights was that no that was a 12 round was a 12 round fight he um I just want to put this in perspective Jeff Hart for people who don't know boxing Jeff Harding was gone for all money it would have went to the judges scorecard he was gone it was about 10-15 seconds to go yeah, but it's. Um, I think it was the eighth round. Um, oh, okay. Uh, that we, or maybe the ninth round. Jeff started to bring his body attack, and he had a very good body shot. He not only hurt him, but he was grunting every time he hit him. So he gave himself up. That <laughs> that was hurting him more than over the top. So. Um, uh, Jeff being very good to the rip to the body, and then finish him with a hook. We really started to get confident that, and and it, with each round, uh, the um, the tenth round was a really good round for us. He he really hurt him, and we could see that he didn't have too much left. At um, the eleventh round, um, we said, um, no, "Keep the attack on." He did pull off it a little bit, and uh, but he still won the round, but. Right near the end of the round, I watched him walk back to the corner and his legs were like a, a newborn giraffe and um, great sign. And I still remember I said, mate, go out and come back champion of the world. And, it, oh, mate, he just went out there and nothing was going to stop him. And uh, the last round, he was as, he was fitter than what he was the first round. He was... He, he was going to ring that title and nothing was going to take it off him. I celebrated that win the next day because we listened. I was in prison at the time and listened to it with a good mate of yours, Kevin Holland. I was at Long Bay and, um, and mate, we're all cheering, you know, and, and one of the thing, thing is like, you know, Kevin said, you know, it was like um, 
you know, Johnny Lewis, Jeff Harding, what a team, you know what I mean? And um, I guess, you know, that whole thing, or you, you've, you've not been shy in bringing, taking the boxes out to the prisons. And, and, and you know, I, I've, been, I've been on the receiving end of when you brought Costa Zhu, Justin Rousel, Rube, Rube Kenny, man, very special. And on behalf of those blokes that you created memories, man, I'd like to thank you, mate. It was just such a really nice thing to do. And you'd been at the Park Lee... Be, you know, a lot of people, you create a lot of good memories for those people who had a lot of bad memories in their life, you know. So, uh, mate, just thanks for that. Mate, this, and it, where does that sort of come from, that association with the knockabout, the crims and that sort of stuff too? Like, does it come from growing up in Urco? Mate, you've got a mate, he's a mate, no matter what he does, and you stand by him. And um, these guys, you know, anyone can make a mistake and whatever, whatever. And uh, as, as I said, I'm not here to judge anybody and... Um, I'm good friends with good people. No. Yeah. Paul Briggs talks about, he does a real nice thing on social media about, he and, I, I, and I've spoken to you about this before, he talks about he went into the gym once and you he was about a minute, couple of minutes late and you were looking at the clock and saying, mate, go home. And, and you, he couldn't work out why. Comes back the next day, he's about five minutes early and he talks about, go home, mate, you're too early. And can you just explain that analogy that you, you, you speak about in, in like being... That's that's a really good life's analogy, a boxing analogy that you can you just explain what that is? I'll be honest with you, I can't explain it at all. I um, uh, Paul hit me with that, you know, and uh, it might have been just something I thought might work with him. I don't know, but um, the fact that he hasn't forgotten it, um, it's good. But I I don't know where I pulled that from. It's a timing analogy, and what Johnny did, Johnny said to him. You know, like it's a it's a it's a boxing boxing timing analogy. He said, if you're you know a, a minute late, you'll get knocked out. Mm. If you're if you if you're late, you'll get knocked out. And then if you're early, you'll get knocked out. Mm. So always be on time. Always have your time. What a great and that stuck with me after seeing that. You know, I messaged him last night about saying I wanted that I was going to mention that. All right. So Jeff Fennick's career is moving along. You've got a good stable, Virgil Hill. Yeah, Virgil came over from uh, Dakota, North Dakota, and. Um, a wonderful kid, and we had um, he'd lost his title to Tommy Hearns, and uh, we had a couple of fights here, and then um, went back forward in Dakota, and then he got the chance to win the title back, not against Tommy Hearns, uh, forget who it was. Anyhow, um, it was a great, great thing in North Dakota where they just loved Virgil like like they love Jeff here, and uh, Pack Stadium, and he won the title and. Once again, had a had a really good night after it, and uh, good people, and um, yeah, we'd done our job for Virgil. Yeah, I can remember a couple of things. I can remember winning the America's Cup when we won the America's Cup, but also and there are two sport, two great sporting events that stick in mind. Jeff Fennick winning the world title at Horton Pavilion. It was on a Friday night. My dad was still alive. <laughs> can you just sort of what was the lead up to that? How did it all come about? Oh, well, you know, it's um, crazy to think that anyone that's been in the, the professional side so short, handful of fights, and Bill Morty rings me up and says, I, I can get Jeff a world title fight. And I think I said, yeah, well, maybe about this time next year, like, not even thinking that it happened then. And he said, um, this bloke said that they, um, they're willing to fight Jeff for the title. <clears throat> I said, no, nah, too early. Jeff was a bit upset. He's, uh, being Jeff, he knows he can beat anybody and whatever, whatever. 
And now Morty rings me again and he said, mate, this bloke, mate, he's hot to try. He wants these, the Japanese bloke to fight over here. Let's do it. <clears throat> I said, no, no, no way. And then he rang me again. I said, tell you what, you get me the bloke's uh, tape of his last three fights and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. He turned up uh, a couple of days later with the three tapes. I watched them. And I said to Jeff, I'm going to take this fight. And uh, That would have been, he would have been elated. Oh, mate, he, he won at that minute. As soon as he knew he was fighting, he knew he was going to win. You know, I was still not confident, you know. It's just such a big ask to ask of someone. But let me tell you that he'd, he'd beaten some really good fighters up to get up to this. And, um, you know, that that particular night when the referee stopped it, which... He had to do, he was mutilated him in there and um, I can still remember that. I never in my life ever thought that, you know, we'd have a, uh, be involved with a world champion, but that's what happened. Like when you train fighters, like... Like how do you, like obviously you your your fighters are all known for their work rate, you know, and when you train a fighter, say for instance you train a Costa Jew uh, versus a Jeff Fennick, do you adapt to their style or? Yeah, look, um, everyone's an individual. They're all different, and um, you know you've got Costa who, after a very long eminent career of almost three hundred uh, fights, he's like technically right and um but he's got good power in both hands costa would get tired in fights but he always had the power of punch to sort of like get back up on the scoreboard with him but yeah anyone with a good work rate was um like it's it's like like if you had a a a racehorse and all through their career they're racing sprints and then all of a sudden you put them in the Melbourne Cup Mm -hmm. or Usain Bolt, you put him in the 1500 metres, well, they can't do it. Mm -hmm. But Costa could because he had the punch, but he too many amateur fights. Jeff Jeff could never get tired. Mind you, he had to be tired, but Jeff wouldn't let that come into his line of thinking. Never, ever, ever would he stop. And that was... Like um, we train and within an hour walked in and walked out, showered and walked out and um, still the fittest fighter I've ever, ever seen in my life. But Costa would be in there for like two hours, change clothes, uh, you know, walk around a little bit after a spa. Jeff was go, go, go. And I think that was the thing that um, unequaled in that area, Jeff, like he was... um, you had to, I don't know, when he was at his best, I don't think there was any fighter in any era that would have worried Jeff any, at his top. Yeah, I think he fought some of the greats, Daniel, uh, Carlos Arare, Daniel Zaragoza. Mate, like when them sort of, when those sort of fighters, like you're talking about Mexican legends, these guys mm. are legends of the sport. You know, when the opportunity 
comes to fight those sorts of guys, what you know, like what's going on there? Like, is that you guys get together and it, like, is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to challenge yourself with those sort of guys? You know, it's it's quite um, even talking about it now. I, I forget a lot of things, but I've never forgotten Jeff's fights. It's stuck in my mind. And um, next thing, Morty's talking about fighting. We'll go up a division, and. Um, I said, oh, yeah, he's getting bigger with all the hard work. He's, he'd gone from a little skinny kid to um, the Bantamweight was um, getting hard for him to make the weight. But <laughs> here lies a, a typical Jeff Fennick, um, um what he does. He, he beats Jerome Coffey, who they were um, rating as the best um, up-and-coming fighter uh, in the world, a great amateur. Uh, Jeff beats him over 15 rounds. Then um, uh, Steve McCrory, who uh, won the gold medal that Jeff was deprived of ye- years before, he's um, making a noise and they're demanding, and rightfully so, they're going to fight Jeff. Jeff was really battling to make the weight, so much so that. Morty put us into a health farm up at um, Penrith. We went up there and uh, oh, I, I nearly died myself because we tried to go with him. And um, uh, when you say train, you train with him? No, no, like with the diet. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, like yeah. you know, we're all going to do it with mm-hmm. you, mate. And then I, I remember it was like a prison, you know, nuts and uh, things that. Won't Dale, very, let me tell you, Dale, you won't lose weight on that jail food. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, yeah. um, I finished up. I had a, a little fighter called Shane Knox, and I found a bicycle at the back of our hut. And I said, mate, get on this bike, go into town. And I, I said, get me a vanilla slice, <laughs> a pie, and a, a cup of chocolate-flavoured milk. And he said, what about they see me? I said, mate, go at the back there and you, you'll be right. You know. So anyhow, he come back with that and I ate that. Otherwise, I'm sure I would have died up there. <laughs> but anyhow, it didn't work, Jeff. He, di- he couldn't take any more off. So I rang Morty. I said, mate, we'll put the fight will go on, but Jeff won't make the weight and they'll strip him of the title. And, um, mate, you know, if... Um, if he wins a fight, uh, still, he won't be the champion. But if he beats us, he, he then takes the championship rail. Anyhow, we went home, a fight on the Friday night. We went home Thursday, maybe tried again, and it just couldn't move it. It was the next morning, about five o'clock, he's ringing me up saying, Johnny, Johnny, come quick, come quick. And I went up. He was up there with um, Peter Matreski, and... Uh, They'd been running all night. Then they came back and he had one little room that was glassed up and he put, they went and got radiators, put the heater on, put track suits and wet weather gear on and skipped and he made the weight and he he looked absolutely awful. I said, mate, why'd you do that now? You know, I've got a fight. You're too light anyhow. Mate, he got on the scales. He made it right on the dot. That, how do you feel about it? Like that made oh, you proud? Mate, I, no, I was I was very critical of it. I thought how silly and whatever, whatever. <clears throat> but anyhow, 
Them days, 12 o'clock weigh-ins, you're fighting at 8 o'clock. On the same day? On the same day. 15 rounds. He was the last 15-round fight ever to fight in Australia. Anyhow, McCrory, absolutely terrific. He hit Jeff in about the fourth round with a really good punch and I I held the towel knowing that I was going to throw it in. The only towel that went in was from McCrory's corner at, at the end of the 14th round. Mm. It it was a win beyond the realms of the imagination. It, it was just something that, like, people could, you know, say you're telling lies. But that's exactly what happened. Mm. And I don't know of any fighter before or after that could have done what Jeff did that day, that night. And he also, <coughs> he also fought with real brittle hands too, didn't you, Jeff? Um, I couldn't talk about them, mate. You know, he just... Uh, they were they were buggered as an amateur. I can still remember when we were fighting for the right to go to the Olympics. We were in the final and um, we had two ice buckets with a hand in each one. That's when he was fighting amateur. He was a special kind of like people don't realise that 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 toughness that Jeff and that that mind that mindset. That's Tony Robbins. That's fucking mindset coaching. What that bloke could do, like you know. Where do you think that come from from him? Was it the area? Was it where was it? Uh, within within yeah. Jeff. Jeff was tough. Yeah. Tough. Amazing fighter. Costa Jew. Where did he come in? I, I took the Australian side over to uh, Moscow to um, fight in the World Amateur Championships over there. And um, it's funny, we were there. Uh, we had someone on later in the in the evening and we're just watching the first couple of fights and I I saw this East German kid fight a um, Russian kid and um, I really took to the Russian kid. I said, gee, that kid's good. He got beat. He lost on points. And, um, and I remember um, later on at the fights... I seen him and I went up and said hello, he didn't know what I was saying and um, anyhow I got to talk to the Russian doctor and I asked him about that uh, that kid. Was it, is what, Costa? Yeah, mm-hmm. and he, uh, he could speak English, the doctor, and he said, oh, very good fighter. And I said, yeah. I said, is he interested in turning pro? He said, oh, I don't know, you know, they're allowed or whatever, whatever. <clears throat> Anyhow, I told Morty about him when I come back and um, we were going to go to the Goodwill Games in, I think it was, um, I don't know, I can't remember now. It might have been Florida. But anyhow, um, Bill had to do some pro- more programs or something. That's what he did mm-hmm. for a living and um, for the football matches and it was forgot about. But... The next time the World Championships were on, they were in Homebush. And um, Costa was there and he'd won his fights and he was in the final. I said, oh, Bill, bring me up. He said, that kid's in the final. You want to go up and watch him? We went up. He, he was absolutely tremendous. He was just, um, he just whitewashed a really good, um, a kid who became uh, B. Chain Mosley twice to win the welterweight title. Vernon Forrest? 
Yeah, Vernon yeah. Forest. Mm. He comes to Australia. And what was his What was his things? He wanted a microwave, didn't he? he wanted a house, and a, is that right? Yeah, a house and a microwave. Yeah, yeah. For him and his wife. Mm. I'll just fast forward a little bit. You go to Melbourne in his first fight, and and the breakdown in in in, uh, in, in English and that. And he, can you just explain that? Because he just rushed out and bashed on. Can can you just explain what happened there? Because there's a bit of a funny story to it. Yeah, he, he, his first fight, uh, we did him no favours. We had a, a kid called Daryl Hiles, a young Indigenous kid from Queensland, a very good boxer, very good kid too. And um, when we're in the corner and they're getting ready, I said to his trainer, tell him to win the first round. Like it's always good to get off to a good mm. start. Anyhow, that's what he said and out he went and... I threw a thousand punches and they stopped the fight with Daryl on the ground and um, after the fight he had a show and he come out and he said something to the interpreter and the interpreter said why did he have to win in the first round (laughs) and I said we we need you as our interpreter we'll keep it up you know but um, it wasn't that but he thought it was Jeff's first fight against Azuma Nelson he worried he was blatantly robbed. Talk us through that. For Jeff, it was a little bit, I, you know, remember we sort of like, um, I don't know if I was biased, but I used to think Jeff won every round. Mm. Obviously on the judges, that mightn't have been, but I was always happy with what he gave me every round. Um, we're just a little bit slow getting off. Um, and I think over there, um, one training run, Jeff ran right in the middle of a desert storm. All right when you're going that way, but when you're coming that way, it's right in your face. No one else could do it, but he was doing it. And I don't think that we really come back from that. But um, in in the fight, after, say, two or three rounds, uh, Jeff Fennick was in there and um, he was... Um, now he won, and mm. there was no doubt about it. And um, he, he was out on his feet as ever. He couldn't have done anything, anything more. And uh, and the bell went, but um, we knew we won it. But at the same time, you got Don King with his hair up and his smile. Yeah, that's mm. like um, believing in the devil, I suppose. But um, somehow or another, they made it a draw, which. I don't. I don't think we saw the real Jeff Fennick ever again after that. I was going to say that. Do you think that that fight broke Jeff's spirit? I don't know if he broke it, but it, it robbed him of. Um, he, he never ever wanted a little L, but in it on his record, and um, although it wasn't an L, it was a D, but it was. Um, it it really hurt him inside. Yeah. In '89, you're uh, awarded Australian Coach of the Year. Is that right? Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, down in Melbourne. Yeah. And then you were uh, in 2006 Australian Order of the Year, OA. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing that, mate. You're. I couldn't like. You're a real humble guy, mate. How do you How do you take to that sort of stuff when people sort of those accolades are given to you? Oh, look, very proud. Uh, I'm an Australian and a very proud Australian. So anything like that sits very good with me and my family and my friends we all share in it but as I said whatever I got certainly came from the fighters I trained you were the uh, you went away with the Australian Kangaroos the uh, the rugby league team 
Yeah, that was a great, uh, great experience. Bob Fulton asked me would I go with him, and we had a couple. We um, went to um, New, New Zealand for six games, and then uh, Papua New Guinea, and then over to England and France. It was uh, yeah, really good, really good. And those players talk about how you know just you, just your presence lift them. I've spoke to a few players that have been involved. Your ability to lift people, man. And, and I, I come back to that, this whole ability to bring out the best. Garf talks about it too. Garf Wood, that's here in the studio with us, he talks about just the confidence that he had going out, knowing that you were in his corner. I might just hit on that, that uh, like a lot of things that, like for so long in the fight game, and um, I, of course, you know, like um, winning world titles is, is something really good. A um, little fellow I had, Gary Sinclair, who... Um, his performance over in the middle of Johannesburg, only with a couple of days' notice and so forth, uh, that that that's really really good. But um, the contender series, I always go on to this, and um, Garth shouldn't have been in it. Um, and you got him to start in it, didn't you? Oh, I think there's a few put their heads together. They needed someone, and Garth was about twenty five percent fit, but. I saw Garth in there. He reminded me of, like Jeff, he was trying to gain everything he could from whoever. There was a bloke in there that was a dietitian. Every time I looked around, him and Garth were together. Like, you know, he um, he, he worked so hard at it. And um, well before he fought Mundine, and uh, it's now folklore how he knocked Anthony out and uh, won, the, won the Contender Series and uh, what it, what it ever went with it, but um, there was um, a Russian kid in there, and he was feared right through the world. I think he was most feared, light heavy, on the Victor Organov, wasn't it? Victor yeah. Organov, yeah. yeah. And um, it sh- the referee should have stopped it in the first round. He he, he had leather poisoning before the bell went, and um, he was a bit slow stopping it. But um, God, that was. Uh, I couldn't sleep for two nights. I just had that on my mind, and mm. uh, and I, I got to say that I might have changed. He's not me once or twice when his uh, mum and dad went out, but um, very. That was something really, really great for me. Yeah. We talk about it. I talk about it in an interview. We know it was sort of a modern day Rocky Balboa story. He's how he come through to win that. It's, a, it's an inspiration. And I, I, I say to Garth, man, you should be a motivational speaker with that mindset to be able to, to sort of take yourself there. Okay, so Jeff gets towards Jeff Fennick gets towards the end of his career, mate. Did you have to? Did you have to make a call and, and sort of? Um, not really, but um, I think Jeff could think that I I was a bit worried, you know, like. Um, um, he still still could have fought on, but I, I I don't know. I think there was a little bit of damage done with uh, with that. Um, still with that first fight, I I, he, I never never sort of seen the same Jeff again. Mm, sad, mate. Eh? Yeah, because it was um, robbery. Yeah, no, boxing is known for that. You know, the the politics and the robbery and the nepotism and. How do you feel about that? There's a, you know, like I never ever thought they'd do it, but um, they did it recently when the WBC uh, granted Jeff his fourth world title. I know it's 30 years later or whatever it was. 
Is that acknowledgement that that he did actually win that fight? Oh, most definitely it is, but it's not the same feeling as it would have been that that day in that ring, you mm. know. And uh, but I I spoke of uh, Steve McCrory um, and where Jeff um, stopped him and um, when they fought. But the thing is at the Olympics, Jeff fights a bloke from Yugoslavia. He wins the fight. There's a panel of judges, first time and the last time they ever did this. They made the decision that the Yugoslavians should have got it totally wrong. So he goes and Jeff's put out of it. Jeff's next fight would have been against um, McCrory for the gold medal. Mate, it's, it's there black and white. It wouldn't have matter if it was three rounds, ten rounds, twenty rounds, whatever. Jeff was going to beat Steve McCrory. He was just too strong for him. I asked Jeff about it. I said, what would you prefer, a world title or gold medal? He said, gold medal all day. Mm. But what was the greatest fight he ever trained that never won a world title? Justin Roussel. I've heard this before. That's why I asked you. Yeah. And a good bloke too, eh? Oh, tremendous kid. Mm. Yeah, it really, really is. And um, Yeah. he. Um, there's a story behind that. We won't go into it, but, but he was... Um, he was promised in a five-fight deal, if he wins a five, he'll fight for the title and uh, the promoter uh, backpedalled on it. Mm. Very, very disappointing to Justin, but, um, yeah, one, wonderful, wonderful boxer. and um, Good bloke too. Ripper of a bloke. And you and him had, like, you and him a re- really special bond. You could see that in your interactions. Mm. Like you all fighters, Jeff. Tell us about this sort of the, the journey you're going with Costa. Like he went on to, man, he went on to have some good fights. And the one I remember vividly is Zab Judah was like some red hot favourite. Like he was going to be the next best thing. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, uh, just little things you pick up on. And um, Zab was like he always had to have a lot of people around him and. Um, at the press conference, he he sat down and um, he spoke about how Costa was going to look like a, a block of Swiss cheese. He's going to punch holes in him and he's going to knock him out. And he's so confident. You know, he, he raved on and then when it was Costa's turn, they give him the microphone and he just turned around. We read in the paper that Zab's uh, partner had just given birth and... Uh, Costa just leaned like that, looked across to him and said, oh, congratulations for the birth of your baby. Mm-hmm. And he could see him then like he, he, he thought he was going to get like a... Uh, he was going to bring Costa down to his level, mm-hmm. but Costa was too smart. And um, he just spoke of how he um, was really looking forward to this fight and, um, um, you know, can't wait for it. I've, train well of box well and um you know that was it all of a sudden it comes down zab there and costa there and all these little things that he thought would work never worked but um he, he still thought he was going to win the fight but I, I i used to look at zab all the time he had a long neck and that's that's like the shock absorbers for the punches mm. and um 
I thought to myself that I was really confident that, um, you know, as I said to Costa, I think you'll take this bloke to some place where he's never been before and he mightn't like it, being one that always wanted people around him. And, um, yeah, Costa only needed that one shot. And Zab, he, he should... Uh, he should thank that referee every day of his life because if he was allowed to go on, God only knows how hard Costa could have got him. He was never the same fighter after that. I was up due to was he? he was never the same fighter after. He, I, I think confidence-wise, he he wasn't. Mm. At times, he still fought and he had a lot of brilliance about him. And um, but yeah, like had had he won that fight, he could have been up there like like even Ray Leonard or. Mayweather sort of thing. He was, he was predicted as that. That was the traje- tra- trajectory he was on at the time when he when he faced Costa and Costa. You know, I think Costa broke him. Oh, mate, it was. Um, well, he still didn't know he lost the fight. Like you know, and throwing stools, and um, he, he was still off balance. And, um, the referee that was one of the best refereeing acts I've ever Your seen. Flame, was it? What has been. Your greatest achievement in sport, any sport, as in, as in, from a coaching point of view. Oh, uh, I've never really. As I said before, they're all individuals, and if you can get their best out of each of them, that's that's all you look. And we always said, and this was the great thing about Jeff and all the other uh, world champions. We were a team up there. We turned it into a team sport, and the most important fighter in the gym was the one who was fighting next and a lot of times that was a, a young kid 12 13 gonna fight a, a three-round amateur fight but um jeff was so good with his support and when they when the kids they like, used to like to dig deep because jeff was watching them and um uh, yeah very very um in and out the ring he, he was very good yeah I'd, I'd go one step further. I reckon you created it. What you guys had at Newtown in particular was a family. And I guess, you know, a lot of those kids, especially those troubled ones, I can tell you, I'll be in, being a troubled kid. Um, mate, one of those things that those troubled kids are looking for is a sense of belonging, sense of family. You know, you, I've seen something, someone said something recently, boxing saved more lives than Jesus, you know, in, in reference to, to troubled kids. And would, you, would you agree with that? I've never met Jesus, mate. I know what. No. <laughs> I think you're going, mate. I think if, you, if, there's, if, you go, if there's a heaven, buddy, you're going there for the work uh, you've done on this planet. Just that association with, with knockabouts in your area, and man, it blows me away. It just blows me away. I'm the same. I'm from Mount Royal. I love my people mm. out there. They're my people. And when I go when I go there, that's where I feel at home, you know what I mean? And I've seen it the other day, mm. just having a coffee with you at, at Urco and um, the love you have for those fucking people. But. Who'd you prefer to be around, the knockabouts or the or the stiffs? Um, look, I, I, I'll just say this: that um, we had a young offenders program going, and Chickamore came in with us, and uh, an ex detective and Newdown footballer, and uh, that's and that's where Pat Jarvis, Pat had Jarvis, bit, he, had, Pat, he had an influence on Jeff too, didn't he? Yes, most definitely. But um, I remember uh, going in Goulburn, and uh, a couple of kids were. Uh, stretch and what they could do to the limit and so forth and anyhow um, I used to say to 
Russell or that little red-headed bloke there or that uh, little indigenous kid, can you ever talk to them? They're getting a bit gung-ho. Mm. And um, Russell would do that. At the time, Russell Cox was Australia's most wanted man at the time. We're wrapping up here, John. But, um, mate, it's dead set being an absolute pleasure to have you here, mate. And honestly, I, I, I just... You're one of those people I look at and makes me smile, you know what I mean, of warmth, because you do so much good in the community. And people, there's only like, there's, we need more people like you, mate. Can we do a Johnny Lois training college where you're, you're training people to, to, to be like you? I'm running on empty at the moment, mate, I think. It's, uh... Mate, Johnny Lewis, thanks for being on the sticker. Oh, proud to be here. Thank you. Thank you.